Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. I'm Bill Barnwell. Today, Ross Tucker of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast joins me to break down the NFL's offensive line. Who has the best and worst lines in football? Which contender is going to be sunk by their dismal offensive line? And which great line, according to reputation, isn't quite as impressive when you take a second look? We're going to talk about all that today, but first... Before we get into that, I want to tell you about another podcast, ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, presents Not Just Football with Cam Hayward. Each week, fans get a peek behind the curtain of NFL life. Pittsburgh Steelers defensive tackle and five-time pro bowler Cam Hayward gives his unfiltered thoughts on the league and headlines across all sports. That's Not Just Football with Cam Hayward. Listen wherever you get your podcast. All right, joining me now on the bill barnwell show someone we've been meaning to have on for a while happy to finally get him on the show here not only of course a former nfl offensive lineman very helpful for the conversation we're having today but also the host of the ross tucker football podcast it is ross tucker mr tucker how are you bill fantastic man thank you so much for having me i've appreciated the last couple of years you coming on my show and glad i could return the favor especially talk about the big boys yeah i'm excited this is a real opportunity to nerd out about nfl offensive linemen of course having an expert helps i know i'm watching as a a layman of layman you know i think it's easy to see when when something breaks down i could say oh well someone screwed up not always sure who but it's nice to have an expert on someone with experience to break down these offensive lines and so we're basing it around um you know, research you put together or work you put together where you went through all the NFL offensive lines and basically rank them into tiers. Uh, Looks like you have, what, six, seven tiers here or six tiers here, ranging from elite at the very top to poor at the very bottom. So, Ross, I'm going to sort of go through some of the high end and some of the low end with you and talk about these lines. And along the way, we get to some questions about, you know, how you think about offensive lines and what, what maybe you know, people on the outside who are just watching as fans, what they think about lines, maybe how you feel differently having been a player and knowing sort of offensive line play inside and out. So um, I want to start with the top. We'll start with the positives here. Let's start. You have two elite offensive lines in your ranking. So let's start there. Tell me about the two elite offensive lines in the NFL from your perspective. Yeah. And so for me, the elite category, and by the way, I'm fired up to do this, Bill. And it's funny because I think it's generally acknowledged and maybe increasing with every passing year the importance of offensive line play, but I don't know that we really have gotten a whole lot further in terms of the layman being able to really understand it. I don't know that they ever really will, Bill. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, everybody can see the running back run with the ball or catch it or the receiver catch it or the quarterback throw it and you can Mm. see if a defensive lineman gets past an offensive lineman but Mm -hmm. there's so much nuance to it um for sure it's really I can't think of another position of football maybe in sports where you are so dependent on the people next to you and working Mm -hmm. in concert with the people next to you Mm -hmm. as often so I do put a premium on continuity I do think Mm -hmm. that that is important and for my elite rankings, to me, they really don't have any questions. That, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Whether it's a health question, at least going into the season, whether it's a health question or 
a performance question. I feel good about them across the board in terms of the starting five and mm -hmm. the depth. Mm -hmm. And people will say I'm biased because <laughs> I call their games, uh, preseason games on television and do mm -hmm. their pregame show on the radio. But it, it was hard to watch the Eagles offensive line a year ago mm -hmm. and not think that they were outstanding. For I sure. mean, you go back, Bill, some of the holes that like Jordan Howard and Boston Scott were running through, mm -hmm. there were games where I felt like they were getting 10 yards a clip. It was <laughs> really, really impressive. They have two and a half elite players. And mm -hmm. I say that because I think Jason Kelsey at center and Lane Johnson at right tackle are mm -hmm. elite players. And I think Jordan Mailata at left tackle is just about there. Yeah. You know, last year, he it was his first full-time year as a starter at left mm -hmm. tackle and his fourth year ever playing the sport of football. And mm -hmm. yes, you heard me correctly. If you're not familiar, he was a rugby player in Australia. He is a massive, massive man. <laughs> you know, he kind of takes your breath away when he comes into the room, when you talk to him, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. And I've been around a lot of big people. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm six, four and a half and I was 320 when I was in the NFL and he's, he walks in the room and you're like, wow. <laughs> Um, so they've got just about three elite players. Mm -hmm. I think their second year left guard, Landon Dickerson, mm -hmm. is a young bull. They got high in the second round that mm -hmm. will take even more of a step this year. And then people forget they did that well last year, even though they're two starting guards, Isaac Sayamalo and Brandon Brooks mm -hmm. both got hurt early in the year. Yeah. Dickerson stepped up, Sayamalo's back. And because of the injuries they've had the last couple of years, especially two years ago, they actually have really good depth mm -hmm. in the form of guys like Jack Driscoll, Andre Dillard, mm -hmm. Sua Opeta. And then they took who they believe is the heir apparent to Jason Kelsey, Cam Jurgens, mm -hmm. in the second round. So they have a bunch of guys that have played a decent amount of football for them, young on, on you know, minimum contracts to mm -hmm. back them up. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think the depth you mentioned is so key there because they've had injuries pretty much every year. Brandon Brooks, who retired uh, this offseason, I mean, was dealing with injuries throughout pretty much his entire tenure. He had a couple of years where he was healthy and just dominant, but was tough to keep him healthy. Sayumalo has been hurt at times. Of course, they had Jason Peters at left tackle. He had injury issues uh, before the last couple of years where it was Dillard and then Mylotta took over. Um, what I find interesting about the Eagles, and I want to ask you about this from a development process, because obviously... Going back to the Andy Reid days, they've had a clear philosophy. We're going to invest a lot in our offensive line, whether it's draft picks, whether it's trading for guys like Jason Peters. You know, we're going to make the offensive line a priority, and that's great. But what I found really interesting is that the organization, reportedly, when it came to getting Cam Jurgens this year, they went to Jason Kelsey and said, "Hey, you know, we know you're you're winding down. You're either going to retire this year. He was thinking about it, thought about it last year. You know, it, it, he's closer to the end of his career certainly than the beginning of his career. So Cam Jurgens coming in as Jason Kelsey's replacement, they went to Jason Kelsey and said, "Hey, help us find that guy. Who do you think would be the player who reminds you of you, who you think can excel at the NFL level?" And I wonder are you surprised that more teams don't do this with kind of their veteran stars where they say, hey, you know, you're getting to the end of your career. You're going to retire as a part of this organization, but help us find the guy to replace you because no one's going to do a better job of spotting the guy who looks like you than you. I would actually say I am almost surprised, Bill, that the Eagles did it. Really? Because Yeah. 
And I think it's fascinating. And it says a lot about the level of trust mm-hmm. that the Eagles have between Jason Kelsey, the offensive line coach, Jeff mm-hmm. Stoutland, and the organization. For sure. Because most guys don't want to help the team get their their apparent. <laughs> most That's guys true. don't want to see a replacement there and a guy yeah. they have to worry about. You know, we see this with Aaron Rodgers, right, in Green mm-hmm. Bay, or we see this with Tom Brady and when they brought in some quarterbacks. There's a lot of guys that they, they don't take too kindly Fair. to the organization drafting their implicit heir apparent mm-hmm. because it they may it feels to them then that they're like on a timeline and that the timeline's no longer their own. Yep. And most guys want to play, Bill, until it's over. You yeah, know, they, the they want to play until off. the wheels fall off. Kelsey mm-hmm. is good enough that he's going to decide on his own. Maybe he already has decided this is it. This is the mm-hmm. last one. But he knows he's good enough and that he's going to be able to decide on his own. It, it takes a lot to get to that level of security mm-hmm. as a player in general and with a single organization in particular. But Kelsey's been there the whole time, and I guess they have that that level of trust. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, obviously, so few players where it's that combination of just continuity, um, security. And again, like you said, Kelsey's still playing at a high level, man. He is still, you know, you watch him on the run, and he's not maybe the guy he was at 25, but he's still one of the most athletic centers in football. He's still, you know, such a reliable player there. Such, you know, and that offense is a very, you know, unique run-heavy offense, very similar to what the the Ravens did uh, when they built around Lamar Jackson, where you know you're asking your lineman to move a lot. You're not running, you know, a lot of just simple concepts. And so, um, it, it's been really cool to see Jason Kelsey continue to play at a high level this deep into his career. Um, with the other elite team you mentioned, this was a team that very prominently, very conspicuously had major offensive line depth issues on the biggest possible stage. And now after a couple of impressive draft, after some changes up front, they, according to you, Ross, have a elite offensive line. Yeah, I feel that way. And and I feel like they will be this year, Bill. I'm not sure I would say they were last year, Mm -hmm. but I think they will be this year. And I say that because Orlando Brown at left tackle is a very good player. They weren't able to get a long-term deal, but they franchise tagged him for a reason. He's an excellent left tackle. Joe Tooney has been unbelievably impressive to me with his versatility, his durability at left guard. And then Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith Mm -hmm. both were really good as rookies a year ago. And I know for me, Bill, by far the biggest difference in my career was from year one to year two. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe part of that was because I didn't play much year one and also because I came from the Ivy League, which was a a lower level of play. But year one, I was just trying to make the team, Bill, and I just was happy to be there. When we started training camp for year two, I knew I belonged. I thought Mm -hmm. I should start. I thought I was as good as anybody and I really think Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith are going to take that next step this year. So those four I mm-hmm. feel great about. At right tackle, I'll be interested to see how Niang comes off his mm-hmm. injury. But I do think Wiley 
is solid and gives them a baseline of good enough for mm-hmm. me to still put them in this category. Yeah. You know, they probably would tell you in an honest moment that they don't think the right tackle position is as good as the other four. Yeah. But I would say good enough. And so then what you have is you have another tackle in Niang. Allegretti has played a bunch of football for them as yep. a guard. They brought Austin Ryder back, who's played a bunch of football for them yep. as a center. Mm-hmm. So they have pretty good depth as well in the sense that they can plug guys in at all three spots that have started Super Bowls for them. Yeah. How many teams can say that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes a long way. And just, you know, I mean, you're, you you can – dream i'm sure every nfl coach dreams about their offensive linemen starting every single game it happens usually like one or two teams a year get lucky and have that happen and they're usually really good because of it but i mean you need to be a team if you want to be a dominant offense you need to have six seven offensive linemen who you trust good they're not all going to be stars they're not all going to be perfect and like you said right tackle is the clear relative weak spot for this team but they could have four you know star caliber players or significantly above average players on the other four spots so um what i find interesting about the chiefs and i want to know you know from your perspective as a former lineman what you think about this obviously blocking is different based on who you're blocking for if you're blocking for geez alex smith who was the guy before patrick Mahomes in kansas city you know you know where alex smith is going to be you know what his dropback is going to be you know you pretty much know when the ball is coming out there, there's a you know, you're, you're, what you're thinking, where you're setting, all that stuff as an offensive lineman, pretty set. With Patrick Mahomes, not so much. So can you explain to people who are, who are going to, who are laymen, who are not thinking about it from this perspective, how difficult is it to, to pass set and pass block for Patrick Mahomes uh, in this sort of offense? Really hard. And I think <laughs> there are even other examples of guys, you know, the Russell Wilsons, the Lamar Jacksons, the guys that, do such a good job of making the first guy miss. Mm-hmm. You know, the funny thing is, Bill, if you get beat mm-hmm. and Mahomes makes the first guy miss or makes, you know, Russell Wilson makes the first guy miss, you don't get credit for that as an offensive lineman. You yeah. still get yelled at. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you, when you're watching the film, you still get yelled at. They still say, you got to play better. Mm-hmm. You're lucky he was able to do that. You got to protect this guy. It still goes down as a pressure. So it's not as bad as a sack for the team, but it's still not a positive for you mm-hmm. as an offensive lineman. The ideal quarterback for any offensive lineman is the quick processor who yep. you know where they're going to be, who gets rid of the ball quickly. So that's, you know, a Tom Brady, a Peyton Manning, a Drew Brees. You know, I, I, I used to get jealous at times because I would see some of the contracts that some of the Patriots or Colts offensive linemen would get <laughs> that maybe, Bill, I thought I was as good at. And I remember sure. thinking, well, yeah, if my quarterback got rid of the ball in two seconds every <laughs> pass, then I wouldn't give up any sacks either. Right? Yeah. So uh, that's ideal for an offensive lineman because you know where they are. Mm-hmm. I think what happens is they need to do a really good job of working on it and drilling, hey, this is not a four-second endeavor mm-hmm. this is until you hear the uh, the referee say ball's gone mm-hmm. or the d lineman stops or the whistle blows you need to continue with it and a lot of times it leads to holding penalties mm-hmm. because as offensive linemen there's this uh belief that you can't grab yep 
totally incorrect. Mm -hmm. Like you can grab, and in fact, your goal as an offensive lineman is to grab the inside breastplate of the defensive lineman and mm -hmm. control them. As long as your hands are within the framework of your and their body, you can grab the crap out of them, Bill. I mean, <laughs> I you know, looking back on it now, the two most important muscles for an offensive lineman are probably like your quads mm -hmm. and your forearms. Mm -hmm. Because when you get that grip on the guy, you just want to hold it for dear life. Yep. But if the quarterback scrambles or goes one way or the other, mm -hmm. and you're not anticipating it, as soon as the D lineman tries to disengage and your grip goes like this outside mm -hmm. the framework of your body or you're restricting his lateral mobility to chase the quarterback, that's a hole. Then it becomes yeah. a hole. So I've seen guys, they go from perfect pass protection to a hold in like a half a second. And it's incredibly frustrating because, you know, you could do everything wrong <laughs> and your team still gets a big play because the quarterback makes that guy miss and throws a touchdown or whatever. Right. You could do everything right. But your team goes backwards and gets a holding penalty because the quarterback scrambled or rolled out to the right. Right. Exactly. And, and same thing with running plays too. I mean, if the running back you know, you're expecting the running back to hit one hole and then he cuts outside. It might be space, but, you know, you change your block, you end up getting caught holding. It, it's, you know, it's, you have to do, it's a trade-off, right? Like, obviously, you're not going to tell Mahomes, hey, be, you know, Drew Bledsoe, or you want him to be in the pocket, you know, get the ball out on time, never try to improvise. Patrick Mahomes makes incredible things happen when he improvises. You're going to take that trade off for a couple more holding penalties each year. But of course, finding that balance is always difficult. And I guess I'm just saying, you know, uh, it is tougher. It's 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 so different to block for a player like Mahomes, and you take the positives with some of the negatives. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8-S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. From the above average section, which is uh, the next tier here for you after Elite, couple teams I wanted to, to touch on who have great reputations. And I think I want to just sort of ask you what you think about them heading into 2022. Let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys, where, I mean, obviously, you start with two Hall of Famers in Tyron Smith and Zach Martin. You had them as above average. Why did they land there for you? Well, the strength, the positive of why they're in the above average category is those two guys. Who sure. I do think uh, are Hall of Fame caliber players. Unfortunately, you know, those guys are at the stage of their career, Bill, where they're getting worse, mm -hmm. not better. Yeah. That doesn't mean they can't still play at a really high level, but they're getting worse, not better, which, by the way, is a whole other conversation mm -hmm. we should have sometime. I'm not sure I can recall a team that's done less with more 
over a stretch of the Dallas Cowboys. And that sounds like I'm piling on. I'm not. Look, I got a Cowboys. I have a Cowboys helmet behind me. I mm-hmm. played there. Um, but think about this for a second, Bill. And I'm sure you've done the analysis. You know, they had an unbelievable offensive line for a few years there mm-hmm. when Frederick was at center. I mean, they mm-hmm. were really – they had a great group. And that was concurrent with having Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott on yep. rookie contracts. Yep. I mean, to have an elite offensive line with your young skill on rookie contracts, and I believe this group has won one playoff game, maybe that one home playoff game against Seattle. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it really is mind-boggling when you think about how little they've gotten done with what they've had. So I had them above average because I like Tyron Smith. I like Zach Martin. I feel like Biotish and mm-hmm. Terrence Steele are both fine. Yeah. I, I don't think they're good. I don't think they're necessarily bad, mm-hmm. um, but I think they're fine. I think they certainly are uh, – that Steele is a downgrade from Lyle Collins a year ago. So, so you know – that's the other thing about the Cowboys in general this year. You, you can't argue with me that they're a better team now that Amari Cooper's in Cleveland or that Lyle Collins right. in Cincinnati or Randy Gregory's in Denver. They're not better as a result of that. Hmm. I actually think they'll be okay at left guard, whether it's the first-round pick Tyler Smith or Connor McGovern. I don't think mm-hmm. either one of those guys will be a huge drop-off from Connor Williams. I think McGovern would be fine if, if he's there and Tyler Smith's not ready. Mm-hmm. The real issue, the real concern I see for them is losing Lyle Collins really hurt their depth. It did. Tyron Smith never plays every game anymore. He can't, yeah. you know? So now what happens? So if Tyron Smith's hurt, do you move Steele over? You put Josh Ball at right tackle? Mm-hmm. Do you bump out Tyler Smith? You're going to have your first round pick who's like 21 years old. Yeah, taking every rep at left guard, and then Tyron Smith gets hurt. You're gonna bounce him out to left tackle like that in a second. Good luck yeah. to a rookie playing tackle who's taking all his reps at guard. So, uh, one of the biggest reasons why they are above average and not better than that mm-hmm. is still a little bit of an unknown at left guard, and their depth took a major hit. Yeah, I mean, you brought up Tyron Smith not being healthy, and that's just the reality of the situation. Doesn't mean he's not a great player, but hasn't played a full season since 2015. I mean, hasn't played a single full season in the Dak Prescott era, including uh, six games missed a year ago and 14 the year before. So again, if he plays 17 games, awesome. That you know, you'll you'll take that any day of the week, but you can't count on that if you're the Dallas Cowboys. And they had to make some cap cap decisions. I know people like to say the cap is fake, but they traded Amari Cooper for cap space. They cut Lyle Collins. I know they like Terrence Steele. I think Terrence Steele, you know, did impress them when he was playing right tackle last year when Collins was suspended to start the year. You know, I think it's the the question of it's not just Collins versus Steele in a vacuum, but Collins at Collins' salary versus Terrence Steele at a much smaller salary. But like you said, I mean, it hurts their depth, and you have to expect that they're going to have a moment or two this year where it's an unknown. And, I mean, you've seen this team as much talent as they have. Dak Prescott gets hurt. They're irrelevant. They're an irrelevant football team, and they had better backup. They had Andy Dalton that year, and now it's Cooper Rush behind Dak Prescott. So, you know, you don't want to see the starting quarterback get hurt, not saying that he's going to, but... That's the risk you run is that you end up with a, you know, a replacement level guy at left tackle or right tackle. You even saw, what was that game a few years ago where, who was it? Uh, someone had like six sacks against them in one game. 
my if I'm remembering correctly, I can't remember who it was. I think it was on the Falcons at that time. Was it Dante Fowler? I can't remember. It wasn't either. Dante Fowler. It was before Dante Fowler. It was. Uh, I'll think of the guy now. It's going to bother me for the entire podcast until I think of it. But there was a game where, you know, they got they someone back, sacked Dak Prescott six times because the Cowboys had a backup left tackle in for Tyron Smith. It was just a brutal performance, and that's just the reality of the situation. You can't. Uh, it was Adrian Claiborne for the Falcons had oh, six sacks. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sacks on. I think it was Sunday night or Monday night game. But you know, I mean, that that's the reality of the situation. Is that you know, for a team like the Eagles, like you said, yeah, Andre Dillard did not pan out. He wasn't the guy they expected to take in the first round, and he's not their franchise left tackle. That's okay. My lot had panned out. But now, is Andre Dillard a, a solid swing tackle? Yeah. You'd much rather rely on him than what the Cowboys are going to have to do if Tyron Smith or Tyron Steele get hurt this year. So, absolutely. Um, and, and, Bill, just to uh, piggyback there, yeah. I'm actually surprised, and maybe this will happen during training camp, I'm a little surprised based on how he played last year, which is well, mm-hmm. that no one has traded for Andre Dillard. Yep. You know, like I look at the Colts right now, maybe they want to see what this Bernhard Raymond is like mm-hmm. in training camp, but they have Matt Pryor slated to start at left tackle right mm-hmm. now. When Dillard started, I don't know, four games last year, four or five for the Eagles and mm-hmm. played very well. And he's in the last year of his contract, so I don't know what he's worth in a trade. I don't know if it'd be enough mm-hmm. that the one team would offer that the Eagles would give. But yeah. you know, the way I look at it, let's say you're the Colts and you trade a third-round pick mm-hmm. uh, for Dillard. Well, maybe the Eagles do that because a third-round pick is worth it, and they think they have other guys, LaRaven mm-hmm. Clark or Driscoll or somebody who could fill in at left tackle. Mm-hmm. If you're the Colts and Dillard plays the whole year for you at left tackle – I think he's better than their other options. Yeah. Worst case scenario, maybe you franchise tag him if he plays well. Mm-hmm. Or let's say he leaves in free agency, you're probably going to be in line for a compensatory pick. Yep. That's that's close to third, fourth, fifth anyway, if he has a mm-hmm. good year for you. You're going to get something back probably. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's totally fair. And I think for the Eagles, you know, they're probably sitting there ex- expecting a lot. I mean, that's a position where if you don't have a guy, you desperately want a guy. And you know, I actually wanted to bring up the Colts. Let's just get to them. I mean, they're average by your rankings. They're in tier three. And I think that's fascinating given that you look at this roster, you look at the line, and they're they're at least two superstars, if not a third star in Braden Smith. That's such a, I'm so glad you brought up the Colts because they are a really they're a really interesting case study in yeah. this bill, which is on some level, okay. You're only as good as mm-hmm. your worst offensive lineman. That's yeah. not true. Um, because if your worst offensive lineman's terrible, but the other four are awesome, you're not going to be a terrible offensive line. But my point is, is it's it's the one position I think where you'd almost rather have five average guys <laughs> than three elite guys and two below average. Because the three elite guys, they can't overcome the mistakes of the two below average guys, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, a a skill position player, you know, if you have an elite receiver, you Mm -hmm. might be okay with having another receiver who's below average because the elite guy can make such game-changing plays that it makes up for it. Mm -hmm. Really not the case among offensive line play, right? Like, you know, let's say you're an average player and out of 60 snaps – you get the job done 
55, 56. Mm-hmm. If you're an elite player, you get the job done 58, 59. That's a difference in a snap or two, mm-hmm. but it might not actually even matter in the game. You know, like right. it might, you might be on the backside of a play or right. let's say you give up two more pressures, but the quarterback still gets rid of it. Mm-hmm. It might not actually impact the game. So it's nice to have a lead offensive lineman, but you'd rather have all average or you'd rather have, you'd rather almost trade an elite guy to offset a below average or really mm-hmm. poor guy to, to be on an average plane. So mm-hmm. I love the left guard center and right tackle for the Colts. Love all three of them. Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith kind of mm-hmm. reminds me a little bit of when the Cowboys drafted a bunch of guys yep. who all panned out, you know, yep. they drafted a bunch of guys high who all panned out next to each other, but right guards, a question mark. Yeah. Danny Pinner, Will Fries, That's a question mark mm-hmm. left tackle. We already discussed major question mark and right guards a really interesting position because teams are still right hand dominant, mm-hmm. which means a lot of times the protection is called with the with the center sliding to the left to mm-hmm. the backside, like a three for two to the backside of the quarterback, which puts the right guard in. It's not as bad as it was when I played, mm-hmm. but it's still there's still some percentage difference. Where the right guard has more one-on-ones with, you know, Aaron Donald or mm-hmm. Cam Hayward or mm-hmm. insert your Javon Hargrave, insert your good pass rushing D tackle. So the right guard position actually becomes a pretty important one. Those are that, that's a bad spot for the Colts to have two major question marks, which you know, average. Above average for me usually has one question mark. Average uh, has two. Mm-hmm. And really is usually that I would usually consider that a below average. But because the Colts are so outstanding in the other spots, mm-hmm. I put them in the average category. It's so funny. Literally, I have written down here as a question next to the Colts. Better for you to have a line with five decent players or three stars like the Colts? So you literally answered my question before I could ask <laughs> it. And yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, from Indy's perspective, maybe they're thinking, hey, we have Quentin Nelson at left guard, so maybe we will structure our protection so that we do have, you know, Ryan Kelly, you know, turning more to the right, helping the right guard out more. Maybe we can trust Quentin Nelson on more islands. But I mean, yeah, I mean, teams are going to try to exploit that for sure, especially on, and also left tackle as well. Quentin Nelson's going to have to help at left tackle where there's a major question mark. And, you know, I think people forget uh, with Matt Ryan, that year he was MVP in Atlanta. Um, obviously, Kyle Shanahan helps. Running game was great. Julio Jones was phenomenal. But their offensive line was expensive. They had Jake Matthews as a first-round pick. They had just signed Alex Mack to a big deal, and they were healthy. They were healthy the entire season. And that went such a long way was having Alex Mack there to help set protections, to keep Matt Ryan's, you know, keep interior pressure off of Matt Ryan. He had time to throw throughout that year and and really had a great, you know, developed a great relationship with uh, a new player for him. So obviously Nelson and Kelly go a long way, but keeping that pressure, that that interior pressure off of Matt Ryan going to go such a long way to making this offense work in Indianapolis. It's a really good point because, you know, now Matt Ryan does a decent job of getting rid of the ball. For sure. And the, the one saving grace is the Falcons offensive line was not good the last couple of years. Yeah. So he sort of got used to it. Right. Um, and so he's accustomed to it, but 
man, they, I think they have a great chance to win that division, but it's the it. offensive line could be what, what holds them back or prevents them from doing so. Yeah, which I think is is legit. And I mean, I think for a line that has a reputation as a a dominant line, well, that was back when Anthony Costanza was there, Mark Lewinsky was there. You know, they really had five five starters who were either average, I think Lewinsky's probably average or a little bit above average to great with the other guys. So yeah, um, absolutely. Now on the flip side, um, you had three lines that were poor, finish at the bottom of your rankings. Two of them, the Seahawks and the Bears rebuilding. I'm, I'm not going to pick on them too much, but the third team in this group, I think, is so important to think about when you think about what why they've struggled sort of uh, living up to expectations given all the talent they have on their roster, and that's the Arizona Cardinals, where you look at their line, and, I mean, you're very down on them, and I can't say I fault you too much. Well, so... There's a lot of concerns there. So first Mm -hmm. of all, at a minimum, the Cardinals have three. And by the way, the Cardinals have like serious Super Bowl aspirations. Right. You know, everybody's getting contract extensions. And I'm sure Kyler Murray's will be announced at Mm -hmm. some point. But you've got descending players at left guard, center, and right tackle. Yep. And really, if I'm being honest, I never was at right guard. I mean, uh, Will Hernandez could not hold down a starting job for the New York Giants the last four years. Mm -hmm. The the logic that all of a sudden he's going to be able to do it in Arizona is mind-boggling. You know, what happened here, I don't know if people realize it, the O-line coach for the Cardinals is Sean Kugler. Mm -hmm. Sean Kugler was the head coach at UTEP when Will Hernandez was there. Mm-hmm. Will Hernandez was an awesome college football player, mm-hmm. and Kugler saw it, and Kugler believes in his heart sure. that Hernandez can be that player in the NFL if he's coaching him. Mm-hmm. But we have a four-year sample size, Bill. Right. Four years. Here's the other thing. I don't know if you've seen this, right? But – Justin Pugh at left guard lost a bunch of weight this offseason mm-hmm. and was planning on retiring. Mm-hmm. And then Steve Keim reached out to him and convinced him to come back. So he's, he's he was working to put the weight back on. Man. I don't know if Rodney Hudson just wanted more money mm-hmm. or Rodney Hudson was considering retirement himself because mm-hmm. he stayed away from the mandatory minicamp and everything else. Yep. Now, he did say he'll be back. I haven't seen anything about an adjusted contract, mm-hmm. but you, you've got a situation here, Bill, where you got a guy that thought he was retired, a guy thinking about retirement, mm-hmm. and a guy that's never played well as your interior trio. Right. This is not what Super Bowl teams are made of, Bill. I mean, right. that, 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 that's not a real good story for the Super Bowl highlight video. I don't envision that happening. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. And I think for a guy like Kyler where – you know, you do want to have him have protection on the interior because he is a shorter guy. It is a little tougher for him to see, you know, looking over the middle of the field. And when people are in his face, it's going to be even tougher. That's the scary part to me. And I, again, maybe you could sit here and say, well, he's going to make somebody miss. Like, he, you know, they're not playing with, you know, the superstar athletes, maybe. Like, like he, he's he's one of a kind. Kyler Murray is incredible. I'm not, not taking a knock on Kyler Murray, but... This is a division, Ross, where he plays against Aaron Donald. He plays against Nick Bosa. He plays against guys who are, you know, the absolute 
one-of-one freak of freaks at their position. Maybe Miles Garrett at edge, but Nick Bosa is a superstar and a guy who can run down pretty much anybody. Aaron Donald is the only player like Aaron Donald in the National Football League. Like, that is a very, very rough spot for the Cardinals to be in. And for an offense that has slowed down repeatedly in the second half of seasons, that was an absolute mess in that playoff loss to the Rams, where they look like they... You know, they look like they barely played football together at times. I mean, that is my concern is that it's not just about the guys who are starting, but there's not anything behind them either. It's a great point. And the other thing I would say, they don't have good depth. And yeah. the other thing that needs to be mentioned about the Cardinals is Kyler Murray has to play better. He does. You know, um, it's one of those weird scenarios where I think the Cardinals know that too. Mm-hmm. I think the Cardinals want more from him probably in terms of on and off the field, you know, leadership, time commitment, all those things. But I totally get Kyler Murray's point, Bill, which is pay me a ton of money right now. Sure. Uh, because if you don't, somebody else will. Yeah. And and he's exactly right. He's exactly right. But it puts the Cardinals in a weird spot where I think they want more from him. And I think they – are probably a little bit scared would be my guess as to whether or not they're going to get that added commitment, added drive to win if Kyler Murray gets $200 million fully guaranteed, like I'm sure he wants after the Sean Watson contract. Well, I can't blame him. I mean, I don't know anybody who would turn down that kind of money if they had access to it. And, you know, for the Cardinals, it's, well, what's the alternative? Like you're in rough cap shape already. You're not going to go out and get – you know, a, a a Matthew Stafford a year ago, you're, you know, Kyler has been not, he hasn't been like Patrick Mahomes. He hasn't been like Josh Allen. He has not been on their level. It's not been like Lamar Jackson. You know, he's had halves of football or, or half a year of football where he's looked really good, but he's worn down the last couple of years. He was, you know, frankly, the team around him wasn't very good, but he was a mess in that postseason loss. So I, I think absolutely, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a difficult situation there when you may be, want more out of a player but the alternatives are are, are not very exciting i mean the no. alternative is you rebuild and start over and they just did that if you rebuild you're probably rebuilding with a new regime so i think for this organization that has you know they 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 sort of pulled the the ripcord on josh rosen after a year and and started over again like i don't know that that's really appetizing and, and i always say this about nfl contracts you know they're not about skill, not about talent. They're about leverage. And Kyler Murray has, for a guy with three years in the league, a lot of leverage. So it, it's a really fascinating negotiation. And I think that's why you said, you know, hasn't happened yet. Uh, I think it would have happened by now if it were easy. But certainly, I think a team that has so much writing on what happens this season in Arizona. One other line I wanted to get to before we wrapped up here. Ross was a a team that does focus on running the ball. A team has focused, at least they've tried to, on drafting players, which has not worked out for them. And that is the Tennessee Titans, where they have been a run-heavy team. They invested a lot in their offensive line. And as we sit here, you know, heading into training camp, their line to you is below average. It is. And listen, it's been one of the strengths of the team in recent years. I mean, they had a really good run there with Saffold at left guard and Taylor Lewan at left tackle. And it is funny how often a team swings and misses at a position in mm-hmm. the draft. Yep. And then that 
that position ends up being a liability for them. And that's what happened with the Titans and Isaiah Wilson, just a catastrophic mistake of a first round pick at right tackle. And they're still kind of paying for that. Taylor Lewan is a good player. I don't think he's a great player. Mm -hmm. I think he's a good player that is a little bit inconsistent, can be hot and cold. Mm -hmm. Ben Jones is still solid at center. But the drop-off from Saffold to Jamarco Jones, I think, Mm -hmm. is significant. Nate Davis, to me, is kind of just a guy. And right tackle is still a question mark. I think they are hoping uh, Dylan Redunds, the the right tackle Mm -hmm. that they drafted in the second round last year, steps up. But... Mm -hmm. You know, there's a reason why he wasn't able to beat out Quesenberry last year. Mm-hmm. So now maybe he'll be better as in year two as an FCS guy. I talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. but it's just hard to look at this team with AJ Brown gone and the offensive line being, in my opinion, now probably a below average unit and feel real good about them. They they really feel like a team to me, Bill, that could take a big step back. I mean, mm-hmm. they could easily go from number one seed to not making the playoffs easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, they, they have done a good job of sort of finding pieces here and there. I, I like the move for Robert Woods. Um, you know, I think they've drafted well in other spots, but this goes back to Jack Conklin, right? I mean, they use, they use a top 10 pick on Jack Conklin. He plays there for three years. He's the knees of question marks at the decline of his fifth year option. He plays well in his fourth year. He leaves. They draft Isaiah Wilson. Wilson has the off-field issues, leads to him getting moving on from the team before his first season's even over. And they couldn't have anticipated that, but now you're stuck. You've now used a second-round pick on Redunce to take over. Um, you know, you've now committed two first-round picks and a second-round pick to right tackle in the course of six years. And you hope you have a guy? I mean, that, that that's the scary part. You know, it, it's just... When you miss once, it gets compounded. And that's the tough part for them, I think, is, you know, can they rely on Andrew Duns or Nicholas Petit Frere, their third round pick this year, you know, Davis and Jones on the interior, Aaron Brewer mixed in there. Like, you know, can you're kind of counting on three guys to all take a leap at the same time. And that's that's the tough part to me, is that I think, you know, you you you, you if you have one spot, like the Chiefs with that right tackle spot, well, you can get by. If it's, like you said, two guys, it's a lot tougher. Three is scary. And I think that's the tough part for Tennessee now heading into the season is for a team that we know they don't have a Kyler Murray to make guys miss. They don't have a Patrick Mahomes to extend plays and make magic happen. If that first guy comes through, Brian Tannehill is probably getting sacked. And Derrick Henry, he can make a guy miss physically, but you know, is he going to be able to with you know stop two or three guys? That's a tougher ask. So and, and I, I also, think it's such a fascinating uh, question. And, and Bill, you're you're a guy that I know does this analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I might be wrong, and I'll I'll say I'm wrong if I am. But Derrick Henry is a guy that I'd be fading this year. It's tough. Uh, you know, the injuries with the O line, with the usage that he's had. There's not a whole, there's not a real big track record for guys having success as many years in a row as he's had it. Mm-hmm. I hope he doesn't fall off a cliff, but there is a track record of guys doing exactly that. That's the scary thing. You know, I mean, obviously Derrick Henry is a freak, but broke his foot last year. And and when he came back in that playoff game, he was not the same guy. I think he'll be better this year, but the workload has been significant. He had the most carries through NFL history 
in NFL history, three games last year. I mean, that, like not not just not just modern NFL, but like going back to the fifties and sixties when guys are running 300, 400 times or on board about on pace for that much in a sixteen or seventeen game season. Just a, a absolutely devastating workload for one of the league's best players, Ross. Obviously, you're going to talk about all 32 of these lines. Where can people check that out? Where can people listen to more of what you're talking about when it comes to the NFL? Yeah, so the easiest thing, if you're on pretty much any social media platform, I'm at Ross Tucker NFL, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, the whole deal. And also, I've got a bunch of podcasts. I've got a fantasy podcast called The Fantasy Feast. I've got the Even Money podcast for betting. You know, those are once a week college draft podcast, but then the Ross Tucker football podcast is every day sort of you get 30 minutes from a former player's perspective of everything going on in the NFL. So a lot of people, it's just become part of their daily routine now, which Mm -hmm. is really cool. The Ross Tucker football podcast. Yeah, for sure. Recommend it. I will be on the Ross Tucker podcast, I believe today. I'm not sure. Is it, is it airing today? Nope. Uh, the good news, the good thing about uh, interviewing you, Bill, and, and the topics we're going to discuss is I'm, I think I'm going to be able to save it for a couple of weeks from now when I'm traveling, actually. So, all right. It's a little secret that only me, you, and the thousands of people thousands listening of right now know. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. But yeah, I will be on at some point in the near future talking about NFL stuff. But yeah, definitely recommend it. Ross, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for hopping on. No, my pleasure, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks so much to my guest, Ross Tucker. Obviously so cool having a former NFL offensive lineman to break stuff down on the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We have more audio coming next week. Of course, we are in full season preview mode here on the Bill Barnwell Show. So going to try to hit a variety of topics, some gambling, some fantasy, some X's and O's, some nerd stuff, every which way. We will talk break down the 2022 NFL season. And then when the season starts, we'll forget it all and just say that uh, we were wrong. So until then, hopefully more preview coming. Hope you guys are enjoying it more on the way next week.